Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hello. Back in Baltimore this week. No uh, Florida business this time. And I guess we're looking now, i got to get this done today, by, uh, we're looking at Parsha's Truma, which is always a very strange Parsha to me, because, um, you know, it begins by saying, vehicle Truma, that Hashem said to Moshe, you know, get, get, make a, uh, an appeal for me to raise money for the Mishkan. Um, why? First of all, there's a general question, what do you need a Mishkan for? What do you need a basic Mishkan for? I know it's a major element in the Torah, I get that. But it's a good question, why? After all, as I always like to say, do you think the Vilna Gaon went to heaven? I do. Do you think the Rambam went to heaven? I do. You know, uh, there was no base of Migdosh. Uh, what, what's the necessity of it? The idea of a sacred space and all the rituals going along with it is kind of an unusual one. Uh, perhaps it's because for 2,000 years now we've operated on a Jewish basis without one, but it's hard to tell. But anyway, the Parsha itself is strange, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. There are two ways of reading this parsha, according to Mepharshim, in terms of chronology. One is the easy way, and one is the direct way. Let's do it the direct way. You know, you and I, most of us, read the Torah like week to week. Uh, parsha Shavuah. And that's how our consciousness works. So last week was Vishpatim, and that's over, baby. And now a week has gone by, and now we start a brand new story called Truma. But everybody knows in the Chumash it's not like that. It's just a whole bunch of words without any punctuation, without any stops in between. It's a continuous narrative from the beginning of Shemot to the end. And so therefore, what happened at the end of last week's parsha? Jeroboam told Moshe Rabbeinu, go up to Har Sinai, you and Aaron and all that, and uh, and stay here with me for 40 days and 40 nights. And isn't the last Pasuk in the preceding parsha uh, that Moshe was up there for 40 days and 40 nights? Okay, so now he's in the cloud getting the Torah. What's the first thing you hear once you're in the cloud? You know, raise money for a Mishkan. That's the first thing in the cloud. That's what's juxtaposed to the end of Parshas Mishpatim. Uh, there aren't other mitzvahs that take precedence or something like that. And more importantly, why, according to the Torah, did you need a Mishkan in the first place? I'm not just saying this in the Veltoran, consider the following. We all know the story goes like this. They left Egypt, and by rights, they should have gone straight into Israel. The only thing is the people were afraid, it says. So Hashem said, I can't take them straight into Israel, otherwise it would be a three or four day business. And instead I have to go make a, a detour. So that itself is interesting, because if you go like that, there shouldn't have been a Maim in Harsinai. What there should have been was, you go straight into Israel, and then, what shall we say, the Jews would presumably do the right thing, and not mess up the way they eventually did in the time of show, but they would have done the right thing, and under the leadership of Moshe himself, uh, there wouldn't have been 40 years, they would have gone straight into Israel, and uh, eliminated all the Avodah presence, all the Goyim, in Eretz Yisrael, either they kill him or they chase him out, or however, you know, the would have been. I'm just saying what it says in the Chumash. And 
then presumably they would have had Yerushalayim and all the rest of it. And then presumably, if they would have been given the Torah, it would have taken place, one would think, in Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh, around the higher bias. I mean, that makes more sense than the higher Sinai, correct? The most sacred place in the world would be the Beis HaMikdash area. And so you could totally see, it would be a good movie too. You see, all the tribes gather around the Har Maria, and Moshe Rabbeinu goes up on that mountain, and that's where he gets the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Torah. And everybody lives happily ever after. It's a Mashiach site already. But that didn't happen. Instead, the people were afraid of going to war. So they didn't make a detour. And instead, the Torah was given a place called Harsina in the middle of a faraway desert, which is not part of Eretz Yisrael at all. We don't even know exactly where Harsina is today, as everybody knows. Uh, it, it, I repeat, it's not part of Israel. In the Mechilt, I remember, or somebody, maybe it be Shmala or somebody like that, says the Torah, the given Dimos Parhesio, the Torah was given in a public area that didn't belong to anybody. And the idea behind that was to show that the Torah is not a racist, racist document that only applies to Jews. It can apply to anybody who wants to get aboard, meaning we do allow people to convert and become part of the group. Uh, you know, you can't say because you look different or you know, act different or you know, come from a different culture, you can't you know, access the Torah and become uh, subject to its uh, laws and blessings. Anybody can if, they w- if he or she wishes to. I mean, it's, you, you got to go through all the ceremonies and rituals, but you can't. It's not an a, a ethnocentric exclusive document. Fine. So the Torah ended up being given Har Sinai. Okay, I get that. And now, how should the story have proceeded? Isn't it true that the story should have gone as follows? Moshe should be up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he come down, which will be Shibasa Batamas, and he give him the Ten Commandments, Ksuvim Be'etz Elohim, I mean, an amazing document. The Jewish people would be inspired. Then Moshe would say, now let's hit the road and go straight to Israel. And they would have done so. Wouldn't have taken that long. They would once again have dispossessed all the people living in Israel. It would be a totally Jewish zone. And then they would have applied the Torah. No, no, no. Then they would have built a base of Migdash, if that's so important. I'll say it again. They got the Har Sinai, you get the Ten Commandments. Then, guided by that, they'd go to Eretz Yisrael, they'd conquer Eretz Yisrael, they'd settle Eretz Yisrael, and then they'd build a base of Mikdash. Skip the Mishkan. After all, if you want to go by the Gemara, you know, they say, Shalosh Mitzvah, and Stav Yisrael, Bekinisos and Laretz, that there are three Mitzvahs that got commanded, at least by the time the Chumash is over, once the Jews hit Israel, one is to uh, wipe out Amalek, the other one is to... Um, Set up a king, and the third one was build a base of Bechir, build a base of Migdash. So, what do you need a Mishkan for? Okay, if you hold that the idea of base of Migdash is so central, go straight to the base of Migdash. This is kind of funny because if you say the parsha that we're reading is in order and it comes right after Mishpatim, this precedes the story of the golden calf of the Egalazov. And so, at the time that it's being given, Moshe went up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. In the course of being in the cloud, talking to Hashem, 40 days and 40 nights, Hashem says, I want you to build me a Mishkan now. Raise the money, build a Mishkan. What Mishkan? And very shortly you'll be in Israel. Do a base of Mishkan. What do you need a Mishkan for? You see what I'm saying? This is the problem. And, uh, you know, I don't know. The Mepharshim, as far as I'm aware, don't seem to focus on that. There's a famous intro by the Ramban where he says the idea of the Mishkan in general is brother-wide is to kind of replicate the Harsina experience. You know, the Jews will go into Harsina withdrawal. Once they leave Sinai, they, they, they won't feel the same. This way, yes, you will. You'll have a Mishkan, which is like 
a kind of a spiritual replica of Harisina, the Shechin will be there, and that'll give him the same effect. That's uh, one way of looking at it. But it doesn't address the central question, that seems to me, which is, what Mishkan? Finish Harsinai, go to Israel, conquer the country, settle it, go to Yushalayim, build a base in Migdash, shine. You know, what, what, what do you need all this for? There are other problems, but that seems to me like the central one when you get to the Parshish Truma. Uh, and I don't know any good answer for it. I think, I think, that it is because of this problem that the other opinion of Chazal popped up, which Rashi, as anybody who reads Rashi knows from the beginning of Parsha, and he says this Parsha is Parsha is indeed out of order. So it really, in other words, we have Teruma, Tetzava, Kisisa, Vayakal, Pekudeh, but in point of fact, chronologically, it's Mishpatim, then followed by Kisisa on the Golden Calf episode, followed by Truma, Tetzava, in other words, the Mishkan. So that's a completely different way of, of, of understanding the story. Uh, the problem is it doesn't seem that way because the text of the Chumash, the, excuse me, the text of the Chumash goes straight. And it seems like one continuous narrative. But the problems that I just raised, I think, led others, like the ones Rashi are quoting, to a different chronology. And then you do the story like this, a little more dramatic. It goes like this. Moshe goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. He talk, God says nothing about a Mishkan. He comes down when she was a Thomas. Meanwhile, they made a golden calf. Moshe shatters the tablets. Right? So forget that whole episode. And then he goes into 40 and 40, meaning he, he spends the next 40 days from Shevaz of Thomas to Rosh praying to Hashem, don't kill the Jews. And once he succeeds in that, he spends the next 40 days from Rosh El to Yom Kippur trying to get a second set of tablets and restore the good relations to the degree they can between the British Shalom on the one hand, Jewish people on the other. That's what we call Elul, and the 40 days from Elul till Yom Kippur. So the original Yom Kippur is the day when they got the second tablet. Fine. And then what happened? Then the story goes like this. Then Hashem says, once the second tablets have been given, then God says, okay, now I want you to make a Mishkan. Uh, why? So then at least it makes a little more sense. You can do like those in Farshim, I think the Sforno and people like that who say, now you showed that you're not on a high madrega, so you're going to need some help. So the Mishkan will be like a giant synagogue, and the Sechin will be there, and that'll be like a chizuk because it's clear from the way you acted that you guys need a physical chizuk. You can go like that. Um, I like myself, I like the uh, Medish Rabbah, I remember. What does Medish Rabbah say? That after the sin of the golden calf, so that's a big Avera. And Moshe himself doms his head off. Like, Chal Moshe. It wasn't a Pasha thing. Uh, listen, he doms for 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to think about what I just said. 40 days and 40 nights of continual prayer and supplication. That's a big deal. So it was a big sin. And at the end, to Moshe's surprise, God says, I forgive him to the degree that I do. But I, I forgive him. Which, frankly, Moshe is shocked. He says, Hashem, Hashem, Wow, I didn't know that was sixty. It's like a lawyer having a hopeless case, and then to his own surprise, he wins the case. So he's like in a, in a happy shock. And as we know, Moshe is so confused at his own success that he says to God, show me your face and show me your ways. Meaning, I, I don't understand how this works. I'll posh this. After what we did, there should have been no reprieve. But I see I succeeded. So how do you operate? And of course, God said, I'm not going to tell you. I'll show you my back and not my face. Okay, I get that. 
But after that whole business is over, um, it's a profound manifestation of divine grace, as they say. But Moshe says, according to this Medrash, Medrash Rabbo, to Hashem, the guy are not going to believe this. The other nations of the world will say, once you did a big sin like this, you lost it. God dumped you. You're no longer the chosen people. And everything you say beyond, past that is a lie. My friends, that is the base of Islam today. That's what they say in the Quran, that the Jews once upon a time had a prophecy and a revelation and motion, all the rest of it. But the Jews proved faithless to God. They killed their prophets. They spurned them. They uh, tampered with the tablets. And therefore, everything in the Chumash is uh, corrupted. You can't rely on the Jewish people. They're, they were once, it's like my former girlfriend, you know, I used to date her for a while, and then now we're, now we're in the outs. So God had, had a girlfriend called the Jewish people for a little while, but then that relationship became all messed up, and different Hashem has nothing to do with that anymore. And that kind of approach makes sense, because people would say, after the extreme infidelity displayed by the Jewish people, at the foot of Mount Sinai, by making a golden calf, God says, you've shown you're unworthy of my uh, relationship. I get that. And now, in spite of what I just said, the story is that Hashem says, I forgive him. You know, I forgive him. By the time Moshe is finished, he even says, I'll go back to being their friend. You know, maybe not 100% the first way, but as much as possible. After all, by the second tablets, it says, This time, you do the carving, and I will. I'll write on it, Hashem says, but you do the, uh, the, the, the carving. Which means, last time I did the whole business, this time, I mean, God created the whole um, uh, two stones of the tablets totally by himself. This time, Moshe has to do part of it. Which is a little bit of a lesser madrego than was the first. Fine, let that be. The story goes, the Medrash says, that Moshe says to Hashem, the nations of the world won't believe that this is really true. That you've forgiven us. Don't think that we Jews are lying for uh, self-interest, for uh, you know ethnocentric uh, boasting. The only way, Moshe says, that we can demonstrate to the Goyim that you really have forgiven us and we're back to square one in our relationship is by you actually showing your Shekhinah among us. And so we now need a place in which anybody who's not Jewish and says, I don't believe that you have a relationship with God anymore. He likes you. You say, come here, buddy. Walk with me. Here's the Mishkan. Go over there. You can see the Shekhinah. You can perceive it. Whatever Shekhinah means, it means something you can perceive. Obviously, Shekhinah doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's not physical, but uh, it's a perception for it that, you, that the person can see it. And so the idea would be like this. The Egyptian, the Moabite, the uh, Hittite would say, wow, son of a gun, after what you did, God is still appearing among you? I guess you do have a special relationship. And that would be an irrefutable, affir- irrefutable affirmation of the unshakable and unbreakable bond between God and the Jewish people. That's a nice word. And that would explain the Mishkan, but that would mean it's a Bidyevit. That is to say, had they not made the golden calf in the first place, then there'd be no Mishkan, and possibly not even based on English, who knows. But once they did it, it became necessary, according to this message, to prove the special relationship with God and the Jews, in spite of the imperfection of the Jews, in spite of all of our faults. And here you have a very deep idea, and that's called Klal Yisrael, and the idea is that me, myself, and I are you, as individuals can sin, but the Jewish people themselves have a grace. And whatever they do, I repeat, whatever they do, they uh, cannot uh, break the bond between them and God. That's a promise. You understand? Mishkan would be a physical manifestation of that. So here you have two totally separate approaches of how to understand the Mishkan. One case is like al but that's very hard to understand. 
And the other case is, is that it's a bidiever that's easier to understand. But I repeat, you know, at the time the Mishkan was given, even according to the second interpretation, the expectation was that they're going to be in Israel in a short while. They didn't know about there be the sin of the Miraglim, and as a result of that, they'd end up wandering for 40 years in the desert, and the whole generation would perish. And then you really need a Mishkan as you walk around from place to place in the desert. Um, so you have the same question. Why did God say you want a Mishkan? Why don't you say, as soon as you get to Israel, build a base of Mishkan, and I will put my Shekhinah in Yerushalayim in the base of Mishkan that you're about to build, and that will demonstrate to everybody that I have forgiven you and that we have a relationship anymore. So you end up with a lot of what they call tzarachians. You have a, lot, a, a thoughtful person has a lot of issues in trying to understand this uh, parsha and the whole concept of the Mishkan. If I've uh, given you any uh, confusion or uh, make you scratch your head, that's very good. Good, that's a good idea. Uh, because you don't read the Torah in a simple way. You have to read the Torah with all the implications. At least that's what I think. I've talked enough for now, so have a good Shabbos. Bye-bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.